Well, we're in the book of 1 Corinthians today. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We've made it through a whole chapter already. Like in a blink of an eye. Already through a whole chapter in 1 Corinthians. So we begin chapter 2 this morning. Chapter 2 in our text for today is verses 1 through 5. So let's just begin our time and we'll read that text together. And it says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. All right, so where have we come from in the text so far? What we might do is just kind of highlight. I I like doing this. I do this for myself. I do it often in my time of preparation. I always want to go back and reflect on where we've come from because there is a temptation that in our study, we kind of get a little narrow as we focus on particular passages, right? So we just want to keep context in mind. It's very helpful for us. Okay, so Paul greets the church, and then immediately what he does is he begins to speak to these reports that were given to him, okay? And so the first report that we find, it, it starts in verse 10, is that there was quarreling in the church. And so Here we are in chapter 2, so what is he still addressing? He's still addressing the quarreling in the church. We see that? And so he will be talking about this same issue from various ways all the way up until the beginning of chapter 5. Well, he'll, he'll start talking about another report that he heard, that there was immorality in the church. And he'll talk about that through chapter 6. And then he'll begin discussing things that they asked him about. Okay? So, but where do we find ourselves? Well, we find ourselves right here where he's talking about these quarrels in the church. So what were they doing? There were divisions among them. Why? Because they were saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, who is Peter. And so they were lifting up these preachers, these famous preachers, and they were evaluating them in worldly terms. And that's why we've talked about recently that we need to make sure that we're thinking and addressing one another in terms of biblical values rather than worldly values that we might bring into our thinking, right? And so they were having a hard time with this, and they were uh, having a pride issue, having a boasting issue, and remember that this was proceeding from their hearts, and their hearts had a problem, and the problem in their hearts, as Paul will tell us, is pride, jealousy, selfish ambition. That was what was happening inside, and it led to these other things happening, okay? So we have quarrels in the church. If we have quarrels among us and divisions among us, I think that we can be fairly certain that we have a heart issue, and the heart issue that's producing these things is jealousy and selfish ambition, ultimately a desire for pride. And as we've sung much about what is it that we boast in and lift high, where do we fix our eyes constantly? We boast in the cross of Jesus Christ and in our God himself, right? And when we take our eyes off of that and we start boasting in other things, in particular ourselves, that's what we like to do, 
then it starts causing problems and friction, doesn't it? So he said, as we studied last week, so consider your calling. Consider your condition before God when you were called. Were you wise? No. Were you of noble birth? No. And were you powerful? Were you wealthy? Were, did you have anything that God said, finally, something I can work with, right? Was that ever you? And so Paul says, now, this was not many of you. Of course, he's recognizing that some people among them did have knowledge, did have standing, but he's still saying his whole point is, that is not why God called you unto himself. God does not call you to himself in salvation because there was something in you for him to work with. There is nothing in you to work with. That's the good news of the gospel, that he calls you to himself despite the fact that there was nothing in you that he saw as valuable. But now we have everything of value in Christ Jesus. So there's that big reversal that we talked about, right? The foolish all of a sudden get wisdom, right? Those who are poor all of a sudden get all the wealth in the world, right? We who are foolish, we have wisdom, we have wealth, we have power from the Holy Spirit of God. All these things that we lacked, we now have in abundance. So it's amazing. Okay, so he is ultimately saying, it is because of God himself and not because of you, not because of a preacher that you are in Christ Jesus. No, it is because of him. It is because of God himself that you are in Christ Jesus, right? If you come to understand something this morning, if you come to understand the truth of God, you come to understand sin that's dwelling in you, you come to understand salvation. It was not because of me. It's because of God and his power and his word, right? His wisdom, not my own. So that's what he focuses on next, right? Um, he's beginning to think back on what we read out of Acts chapter 18. Do you remember that? That's when, um, when we first started uh, the book of Corinthians, we looked at Paul's founding of the church in Corinth. Do you remember when we looked at that a little bit? And so we have a little bit of detail about that when Paul was traveling all around that area of the world and he was establishing new churches as he was preaching Jesus Christ. And people would come to faith and so there were a bunch of people and what would they do? Well, he would uh, try to organize that. He'd stay and he'd teach them and he stayed in Corinth a long time. He stayed in Corinth a year and a half teaching them the word of God. We'll talk about that again in just a little bit. But what was Paul doing? He was spending some time there among them. And so now he's going to begin by saying, remember when I was there among you and I was preaching the word of God among you. Let's just look at that for a minute. So I think of it in this way. Maybe it's helpful for you. Um, did you ever dissect things in school? Yeah, at least a worm, right? I mean, I did more than a worm. I, some really odd things I've come to find out um, that other people didn't. Uh, that maybe that's just what the school could get their hands on. I don't know. But we, we are given things, right, as children. Maybe this is still true for you. Maybe you've done it recently. You're given something to dissect. And when you dissect the thing, they don't just say, there it is. Now, that's all there is to know. It's a frog. No, you have to say, okay, here's a frog. Now, let's learn more about the frog. And you open it up and you see all that there is. This is what Paul is going to do with his visit to them. He's not just going to say, remember when I was there. He's going to say, remember when I was there. Now, I'm going to take it. 
I'm going to open it up and dissect it right before your eyes and let you know what I was really doing there. Does that make sense? This is what he's about to do in our text for this morning. Okay, so let's just look at verses 1 and 2, and we're going to talk about it this way, just in, we're going to divide the text into three different portions, and the first portion is, what is the mystery of God? Just some questions that we might ask. What is the mystery of God? Should be a question mark there, it's a question. What is the mystery of God? Verses 1 and 2, let's just reread it. And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So what is it that Paul was proclaiming? If you have an ESV or an NASB or a KJV or an NKJV or a many other things, except for the CSB, if you have a Christian standard Bible, I don't know if any of you do, but it does not say the word testimony there. When I came and I proclaimed to you the testimony of God, it actually says a different word. And the word that it says is mystery. And so what I would like to do, um, just as we get started, because I know everyone's just hungry to learn more about the world of textual criticism. And so I knew that, and I'm trying to be sensitive to your needs. So what I'm going to do, just for a second, I'm going to tell you why we're translating this word or seeing it as the word mystery this morning. I'll just take a second. Now, let me tell you another reason why I want to do this for you is because I remember being uh, young uh, sometimes. I don't remember a lot of being young. I don't have many memories, but I do have one memory in particular. Let's just tell you about it. Just take a second, okay? I remember sitting in church. I went to United Methodist Church, and I remember one of the few times ever they had pew Bibles. You're familiar with pew Bibles, right? They had pew Bibles. And the person up front was reading... Uh, scripture, right? Great. That's good. I remember I grabbed a Bible, and I happened to find where they were at, you know, by just dumb luck, okay? And I remember I was looking, and they were reading, and what I saw on my page did not match the words coming out of their mouth. And you know what I did in that moment as a, as a kid? I thought, I, I said, see, it's not true. This is all just made up. And I remember closing the Bible and putting it back in the pew. Because they were telling me that this was the word of God. And I said, oh, that's the word of God, huh? You're telling me this is so true, are you? Well, the words aren't even the same. So, I don't believe. Well, for anyone in this room, that will not be the case this morning. Okay? So, I present to you Codex Sinaiticus. This is a, a mid-4th century uh, collection of documents. And uh, it was found in the late 19th, uh, mid-late 19th century. And uh, actually, a story about this is pretty, pretty fascinating because uh, there was a guy who was in Sinai, wouldn't you imagine? And that's why it's called Sinaiticus. And he was in Sinai, and there was a monastery there. And uh, he was looking around the library in the monastery, and there was a monk there, and his job was to collect all the trash and pile it up and burn it. And uh, this guy, this scholar, Bible scholar, was on the quest for these different manuscripts, and uh, he had looked everywhere not finding what he wanted, and then he saw a pile of trash, and he went, wait a second. And he pulled the trash out, and it was uh, uh, old, the Old Testament 
in Greek, which is the partner to Codex Sinaiticus. And then he said, oh, you're interested in that? Oh, I've got a better copy of that back in my room. They were going to throw it out, but I kept it. And so that's what he gave him. He said, here it is. This is the oldest complete New Testament that we have. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? And so I'm glad you think so. I think so. Uh, so this is what we have. What is our Bible based on? You, well, hopefully you know that our Bible in English or in any language is based, in the New Testament anyway, is based off of Greek. It's not written in English. It's based off of Greek. No matter what translation you have, it's based off of Greek. And so there you have it. Now, I had to do a little bit of work this week, and so I'm just going to show you a couple of slides of the work that I was doing, and I'll just share it with you so that you know how I arrived at translating this word mystery. And so if you zoom in on the text by the scan, you can access these scans, and then if you eliminate the background and you put the contrast up, which is all of what I did, you can read the words a little bit more clearly. And uh, so this is a zoom in on our text for this morning in Codex Sinaiticus. And then you can go to the next one, Rob. Here's, here's the word in question. And this word is, uh, it, it's all one word, okay? It just goes down to the next line. Now, you notice it's hard to read because there are no spaces between the words. Uh, very difficult situation. It's all capital letters also. That's hard. So no spaces between the words, all capital letters. It gets to be very confusing. And so you have monks and people over time who are translating copies of copies of copies of copies of copies. And uh, so sometimes you have variations in the text. And in the seventh century, um, they wrote these little letters up top. You see those few little letters that are written in up top? That was a 7th century edition by another monk who was examining this and said, uh, I want to make a little correction here. Right? And uh, what you have here, actually, if you insert those letters where the other letters are, it creates two different words because the words are very similar. And the two different words that it creates okay, are musterion, which is mystery, and Marturion, which is testimony, which is where the word martyr comes from, right? People who, are, who die for their testimony. So that's where the word martyr comes from. But the word that is actually written there is mystery, and the 7th century uh, edit is marturion, which is testimony, okay? And many of your Bibles then say the word testimony rather than the earliest word mystery. Why might that be? I could go on about this for a while, I realize. Uh, I'm not going to, but there was something called the Latin Vulgate. And Latin was the language of the day. This is what the Roman Catholic Church used. And in the Latin Vulgate, what word is used there? Uh, testimony. And so later on, Roman Catholic monks who valued the Latin over the Greek looked at the Latin. It said testimony, so they wrote in testimony. And so many of our copies of the Bible are based on later editions. And so what happened over time is that many manuscripts reflected the word testimony rather than mystery, which is why if you have an ESV, it has a footnote and it says some manuscripts say mystery. Now, I'm glad you all enjoy that, but we're going to have to move on however much you want to continue to press into that. We'll move on from that. Now, some would say that, well, the word testimony fits better here contextually, uh, but... I'm going to disagree, and actually the entire rest of our time that we're going to spend together is actually talking about this mystery of God, why it in fact is a mystery of God, and how this is the word Paul chose to use because this is what is reflective in the text itself. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. 
And that's the point that he's making. And so I'm going to show you uh, why this is a mystery, and we're going to talk about this mystery of God. What is the mystery of God? Why is it a mystery? And does he talk about a mystery in other places? He does. Let's just say this as we begin, okay? The mystery of God is made known by a work of God, not men. And if we're reflecting on all that Paul has said to us so far, isn't it true that he is really pressing this idea home? That this word of God, this mystery of God, see, although testimony could be true and mystery could be true, they are kind of wrapped up into a similar idea, right? Because it is the testimony of Jesus Christ that is in a mystery, right? So even though we have a variation in word, the, at the end of the day, the the, the meaning uh, doesn't really affect us very much. And that's, by the way, for any skeptics in the room about the Bible, if you're wondering about things, um, there are many variations to words in the Bible, but as we reflect on them, they do not, just like this situation, 99% uh, of the time have any impact on the actual meaning of the text. But it does have value as far as emphasis is concerned. What's his point, right? So that's what we're talking about. So he says, the mystery of God is, is made known by a work of God, not men, and that's why it's a mystery. Just look at verse 7. If you're in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, look at verse 7. Just look at what it says. We impart a secret, hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages began for our glory. Now, that word for secret right there, guess what, is the word mystery. Okay? And no one... There's, there's no issues with that one, okay? But this is what he's talking about. See, this is, this is the point, is that it's a mystery of God, and if it's a mystery, then there's only one person who can crack the code for the mystery, and it's not men. That's his point. See, they were boasting about men and preachers and wisdom of the world, but the whole point of Paul bringing up the fact that it's a mystery it's because he's saying, yes, it is a mystery of God, and men do not come to know God through wisdom, but it is a revelation of God. God makes known the mystery to them. He cracks the code of the mystery and gives it to people. People do not crack it themselves. So if you come to an understanding of the truth of God, you didn't figure it out. I know we like to think that. I like to think I figure things out. I like figuring things out. But you know what? I didn't figure this out neither did you. This is a mystery of God, and if you come to see it, if you come to know it, it was a work of God, not any man, including yourself. And that's pretty powerful, isn't it? But we see why that might be Paul's point. So, uh, I'll also just read this one. If, if it's on your, it's on the same, it's open, it's right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 chapter 4, verse 1, look at what it says. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Do you see it? So this is how he's saying, if you want to elevate preachers, you, here's how you actually need to think about preachers, is that they are stewards of the mysteries of God. What's a steward? You have something that's not your own. And you're just delivering it. This is a thing of God's. I don't know. Here's the mystery. If you're going to understand it, God's got to unlock it for you. I can't make you understand it, but I'm a steward of it. Here it is. Here's the mystery. 
but God will work to help you understand it. What they were doing that was wrong is they were saying, Paul, you delivered to us the mystery of God and you helped us understand it. And he says, wrong, I didn't help you understand it. I proclaim to you the mystery of God, but God is the one that gave you understanding. So do not boast in me or any preacher. It was God who helped you understand it. But there's a second thing. As we're talking about what this mystery is and we're looking at the text, he said, And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the mystery of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you, in fact, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And there's no one who will say that that is lofty speech and wisdom. Because all I did was talk about a man. A man who was humble, weak, who had no standing in this world, who everyone hated, rejected. They hated him so much that they had him killed on a cross, the ultimate shame and he died. But we believe that by the power of God, he rose again from the dead. And actually, he was not shamed forever, but instead, God rose him up and gave him the greatest place of honor at his right hand. And that's who we believe Jesus Christ is. So the mystery of God focuses itself, centers on the cross of Jesus Christ. See, there's a mystery of God, and it's, it centers itself. This is the mystery of God, the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, I know many of you knew the truth of the cross of Jesus Christ. Maybe as a child, maybe you are now teaching your children, as you should, of the cross of Jesus Christ, right? And you hear the story, and you, you, know, you learn Bible stories, you learn the story of Jesus, you learn all these things, and so you can say back to us, all that Jesus did and accomplished, does this mean that you understand the mystery of God? If you can simply regurgitate who Jesus is and what he did, does that mean that you understand the mystery of God? The answer is no. Okay? If you simply have the information in your mind of the historical facts of Jesus and what the Bible says... There are unbelieving scholars who write commentaries on the Bible about a lot more than that. doesn't mean they understand the mystery of God. Okay? So what does understanding the mystery of God mean? He's going to tell us all about this. We just have to wait to get there. That's what's going to happen a, a, a lot in, uh, next week, beginning in verse 6. He's saying, we do impart wisdom to you, uh, but among the mature. And he talks about how it's a spiritual wisdom. And when we give you spiritual knowledge... It's only interpreted spiritually for those who have the Spirit of God, right? How do you understand a spiritual truth if you don't have the Spirit of God? And who is it that has the Spirit of God? Believers only, right? So all this is coming together and makes sense, but it's focused on Jesus. The mystery is the truth of God's work in Jesus Christ, which is a hidden secret thing of God that can only be revealed by God himself but we're talking about more than basic historical information of Jesus. That must be said. So, maybe you're thinking in this moment, and I'm just thinking of this, maybe you're thinking, well, how do I know then if I, all, the, all I know is the basic historical information of Jesus or, or if I know the mystery of God? 
how do I know which I actually know? Do I have it truly or do I just have head knowledge of it? Yeah, that's, that's sometimes complicated, isn't it? I will tell you right now in this moment, I have a lot of head knowledge that is not yet communicated to my heart. I have told you before, we come in the room and we take a test. I bet you you will get a lot of answers right. Doesn't mean these truths have communicated to your heart. Right? So where are your affections? Where are your desires? Have your values changed? Are you constantly taking your life and matching it up against the word of God? Matthew eleven twenty five says, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Now, we talked about that from a different angle last week, but this week, you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. Do you see that? See, God has a truth, but yet he has covered it. He has hidden it. It's a mystery. It's a secret. And when does he reveal that secret? And to who does he reveal that secret? He does it to those people that he wishes, and he does it in his own time. Remember? He said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. Right? All this stuff works together. So this is God at work. One last, one last place here. We're going to go on to the, to the next point here. But Colossians 2, 1 through 3, there is just so much in Scripture that kind of corroborates this situation that we're talking about with this mystery of God. And one of those places is Colossians 2, 1 through 3, and it says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and those at Laodicea, for those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of the understanding of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. What is the mystery? It is Christ. And what is his desire? That you might come to know the vastness of this mystery. You see, the mystery of Jesus Christ is not this little tiny thing. It is vast. And in it, there are treasures of wisdom. And that's why he said, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So here is this mystery of God that he uncovers, he unveils, he gives you understanding. And when you come to understanding, there is a vast wealth of treasure there to be found. And what his prayer is for those people is that they might continue to see it more and more and more. So here is a question for you immediately this morning. Are you digging into the wealth of treasure that is Jesus Christ to say, I have not yet learned all there is to know of this mystery of God? Or do you think, maybe in your own pride, that you have learned all there is to learn and now you're just floating through this Christian life. There is nothing left for you to uncover. There is nothing new for you. I know it. I'm kind of in the position now where I know, and so you just come to me whenever you need knowledge, right? Wrong. There should never be a day, a time, a thought that says, I have arrived at the fullness of the knowledge of God. But the great thing about this is one day you will. You know that? One day you will. See, for now we see in part or in a mirror dimly, but then one day, face to face and truly and fully, we will know it all and we will rejoice in it and we will give God the glory for it. That's amazing, isn't it? So that time is coming, but that time is not today. But it does not mean that you just coast and you're okay with what you have. But we should be digging in. 
Okay, so this is an encouragement from me to you. How much of your life, your energy, your focus is spent on digging in, pressing in to the truth of the vast wisdom and knowledge of God in Jesus Christ? How much of your energy goes into that? How much of your energy goes into other things that at the end of the day are going to turn out to be useless? So I think in that type of evaluation, we can all say we've got a ways to go. Would you agree? I hope that you do agree. So what else can we say? The mystery of God in the Son of God is made known by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. You like that? Okay. I hope, I hope so that you would again. The mystery of God in the Son of God, that is in Jesus Christ, is made known how? By the Spirit of God, communicated in what way? Through the Word of God. Wouldn't you know it's all of God? Amazing. It's all of God. This great mystery of the Son of God. It is God's mystery, and it is made known by the Spirit. How? Through the Word. So, now that we're talking about pressing in to the things of God, knowing that this is a work of God, knowing that is communicated through the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, that all of a sudden leads us down what road? Where should I take a pretty big emphasis of my time and study and thought? The Word of God. And you might say right now, now, you make that point pretty often, you can let up a little bit, we get it. That we need to be studying the Word of God more, we need to focus on the Word of God more, that, so I will just let you know, if this is getting, you know, annoying for you, that I keep saying this, then... Uh, one of two things, probably, that you're just going to have to grow to get to like it. Or if you can't get to like it, this might be an indicator of a greater issue. Because what we know is that we must press into the Word of God. We must. And if we are to experience growth, which I know all of us in the room are, it is not going to happen if your life is void of the Word of God. Because God is going to reveal things to you. He's going to reveal sin to you. He's going to reveal himself to you. And he's going to do it through his word, which he wrote himself through men. Okay? So I just want to again encourage you in that. One text here is Romans 16, 25 through 27. Listen to what it says. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, who is able to strengthen you? God in, in Christ. According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, there's the mystery again, the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed through the prophetic writings and has been made known to all nations. According to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith, the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. How has God made this mystery known? He says he has revealed it by two means. Number one, the preaching of Jesus Christ. And then second, by means of the prophetic writings. How has God revealed himself? You know, how does, how does God reveal himself? Are you one who just simply sits around and waits for the revelation of God in a dream? Some people do. I've had many conversations with, with, with people out and about in this world, and 
they say their, their primary means of communication with God is, is through visions and dreams. And they're waiting on God to let them know what to do with their day, right? Through a vision or a dream. And uh, we wonder sometimes, how does God communicate with us? How has God communicated with his people? Well, if we look at the book of Hebrews, it says specifically that God spoke long ago, in many ways, many times to our fathers. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, right? Uh, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has spoken to us, definitely. And what happens, unfortunately, many times is that for those people, even those people, they are absolutely neglecting what God has said definitively and waiting around for something that God might say to them uh, sporadically, right? If you want to hear from God, then read the word that he has written. Not only read it, study it. Know what it says. Love it. Right? We need the word of God in our life. He who is able to strengthen you through two things, through preaching and through the word. That's what he said. I do want to ask a question here. I am spending, just so you can have a calmness about you in your hearts, I am spending more time on this first section than on the rest. Okay? I do want to ask a question here because I think it's very applicable, practical. Is the study, the personal study of the Word of God at home the same as hearing the preaching of the Word of God? And if it is not different, then you may in your own mind think, I don't need the preaching of the Word of God. I don't need someone's opinion on the Word of God. I'll just read the Word of God on my own, and that's all I need. I have also heard this much from people out in the world. If you hold both of these things as equal in your mind and you say, well, it's one can substitute the other because basically all this person is doing is studying and telling me what they learned, I'll just go study it and learn it myself. Is it the same? Or does God have other intentions for specifically the teaching and preaching of the word of God that is different than your personal study of the Word of God. So I will tell you basically and most simply that yes, they are different. They are not the same. The preaching of the Word of God is different for many reasons than our study of the Word of God at home. And how and why might that be? 1 Corinthians 12 begins to talk about spiritual gifts, and also offices in the church the way that God has gifted his church. And one of those giftings to the church in 1228 is teachers. You see that God gives teachers to the church? If we didn't need to be taught the word, then God would not have gifted his church with, you guessed it, teachers. If we all had the same ability and gifting of God to teach ourselves, then we wouldn't need teachers. This is one aspect. Looking at the spiritual gifts also in Ephesians 4, let me just read this a little bit. He, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherd teachers, or the shepherds, shepherds and teachers, for the sake of what? For the sake of equipping the saints for the work of ministry and the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, 
to the measure and the stature of fullness of Christ. So we need to keep going here, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine. Right? Why did he give shepherd teachers to the church? To protect the church, to instruct the church in proper doctrine that the church itself might not be led astray. So God has real intention for the preaching and teaching of his word corporately in addition to your study of the word of God at home. Does this make sense, what what I'm saying? So you must see these two different categories of things taking place because if you don't, what that will lead to is a devaluing of preaching or a devaluing of personal study at home because you think, well, I have the word of God given to me on Sundays. That's more than enough for me. That's good to go. Or you might think, I don't need that so much. All I need is my Bible at home, me and the Bible. But that's not the way God designed it. And if that's not the way God designed it, then he must have a purpose behind it. Wouldn't you agree? And so we need to recognize that God has a purpose behind preaching, the preaching of the word. Okay? Does it mean the person preaching the word is better than you? I didn't see a lot of head shakes. Are you wondering? Like, I don't want to offend him. I don't know. Is the person preaching the word better than the people listening to the word preached? No. Isn't that the whole point that Paul is making? You're boasting in preachers, boasting God. So do you, hopefully you've seen now why we've gone down this road. Because it leads down this path. There is not a boasting in the one preaching the word because the preacher is simply a steward of the word of God to the people of God. So we give the word of God, right? So we preach the word of God. Why? Because the word of God is what we need. This is how God has communicated to us. So we preach the word. Okay? So God does intend to use the preaching of the word. Um, let me just make a quick note here before we move on to verses 2 and 3. That not all preaching is the same in your life. I have made this point in the past. I, I would like to make it again because it's relevant to the text and, the, con- and the, the, the concept of what we're talking about. Not all preaching is the same in your life and is not all equal in your life. And the reason being is because of the design of God's church. Not every elder or pastor in this world is your elder or pastor, which means they are not your shepherd, right? That does make sense, does it not? There are pastors in this world who are not my pastor or shepherd, but in the local assembly, there are pastor, teachers, elders, shepherds, overseers that are your overseer. So there is then a distinction between listening to a random sermon somewhere in the online world and listening to a sermon from your elders at your church. Do you hear what I'm saying? There is a distinction, and that distinction comes from God's setting up of the church. So this is coming from someone who is one of your shepherds saying to you that not all things in your life are created equal on those terms doesn't mean they don't have truth value. It's not what's being said. But when we seek out these other sermons and books and things like that, they are, yes, supplemental in nature to what you are receiving at the church. And should there be things that are contradictory, do you go with the guy who is famous 
immediately. Well, I mean, this is coming from the famous guy. Clearly, he's right, and our elders are wrong. What should be our default setting? Our default setting would be, I want to trust the spiritual overseers that God has placed in my life, and should I have issues or questions, concerns, I need to go ask them about this for clarification. Okay? That's how that might work in in, in real life and how it should work in real life. So let's look at verses 2 and 3 together. I will pick up the pace. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Now, if you were like some, possibly, you might interpret this by, by meaning um, that Paul didn't simply preach words to them. No, no, no. He gave demonstrations of the spirit and power. So you have something in mind. It's not a guy teaching and preaching. It's a guy doing works and demonstrations. This is me conjuring. This is doing works and demonstrations of the spirit and power. He doesn't even need to speak because he's demonstrating the spirit. And if that's what you have in your mind, that's just completely wrong. What he's saying is, no, I did teach, I did speak, I did preach, but I didn't do it in my own strength and wisdom. I did it in the wisdom and strength of God. So that when someone believed, they didn't believe because I was a good speaker. They believed because God is wise and powerful. So it was not my power at work in the preaching. It was God's power at work in the preaching. So remember, he's dissecting his visit to them in front of them. And they're wondering, well, how did we come to believe and be believers? Well, was it because Paul is an excellent speaker, teacher? Was Paul an excellent teacher? Absolutely. But was it because of Paul? No, he's correcting this. He's saying, listen, when I was there, reflect on my disposition. I was there in, let's just look at it, in weakness. Is that a value? That's what we look for in a pastor, right? Are you weak? In fear and trembling. Okay? My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. So we look at all these negative things, and we say, okay, what are we looking for in a guy that we think might be powerfully delivering the word to us and leading us in the way of God? Well, he needs to be wise. Check. You know, great education. He needs to be just a wonderful speaker. He needs to have power. You know when a guy walks into the room and he starts talking and you can't even... You can't even talk because they're talking, right? You know, they, need to, they need to command the room. They need to speak with authority and power and confidence. And Paul says, I came to you and I did the exact opposite of that. And yet you believed. Why? Because it wasn't me. It was God. And that's the demonstration of the power of God at work. So you don't need me to do that. You need me to explain to you and expound upon the word of God, and God will work. God will work. So how is the mystery of God proclaimed? The mystery of God is proclaimed first and foremost with words. That, that's, is that too simple, right? The word of God is proclaimed with words. He says, my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. So he did have a speech, right? He, he did have a message, didn't he? So was he using words? If you go back and you read, we're not going to do that this morning, but if you go back and read those passages there I have listed for you in Acts, that's exactly what he was doing. 
He was reasoning with them with words. Paul used reason. He used persuasion. He used the word of God. But at the same time, what was he relying on? His power of persuasion? Was he relying on the words that he was saying? Was he relying on saying them well? No, he was relying on the power and the wisdom of God to uncover this mystery of God. That's what he was relying on. Is that what you're relying on this morning? You know, if you checked out and the, you know, the textual criticism thing just did you in from the beginning and you just struggling to keep up ever since, that what are you expecting out of this morning? What are your expectations? That I might deliver to you something in a way that you've never heard it before because you trust in my ability to teach the word of God. If those are your expectations, you have wrong expectations. What you should expect out of me, however, is to be faithful to the word. And as I'm faithful to the word, you are relying on the spirit of God to reveal to you and uncover for you the mystery of God, which is found in Jesus Christ. Are you relying on the spirit of God this morning to lead you into understanding? Because if all you understand is my words, but you have not understood the words of Christ found in the mystery of God, then you've missed the whole thing. Right? So I want you to continually be trusting as I am trusting. Not in my communication. If, listen, if we were trusting in my communication, we'd all be done for. You know that. You can laugh. That's fine. You know that if we were trusting in my communication abilities, there is no hope for us. But if what we're trusting is the power of God to reveal to us his truth from his word, then this is all we need. This is what we need. I'm going to skip an entire section there. Maybe we'll revisit it at some time, okay? I do want to just read, though, um, out of 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Just make a note of this. Because we're looking again at Paul's charge to Timothy, who was about to arrive in Corinth. You remember? He said, I'm sending Timothy to remind you of my ways in Christ. So Timothy is coming to Corinth. What is Timothy going to do while he's there? Here is Paul's charge to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Don't forget that. What was he primarily to do with the people of God? Preach the word to them. So when we preach, we should be preaching the word of God to the people of God, relying on the power of God and the spirit of God and the wisdom of God. Is that what you're doing this morning? Relying on God himself to make these things known to you. So the mystery of God then is also proclaimed how, in what manner, with humility. And that's really what he's saying here, isn't it? Is that, listen, I was with you in weakness. I was with you in trembling. My speech and my message, they were not implausible words of wisdom. He did not grade himself well in his delivery. But what he can say is that it's still, even in my faulty delivery of a sermon, of teaching. What I can say is that I saw the power of God at work. I saw his spirit moving among the people and convicting the people. This is what I saw at work. And in this he can rest. Now Paul does go into a lot about weakness, fear, and trembling. Ultimately what I'll say about that, and there are multiple passages there you can look at for reference where Paul talks about his weaknesses. But when we're looking at Paul and his weakness, fear, and trembling, this is something Paul talked about quite a bit, actually. 
He wants the people to know that all he, he has the appearance of strength. But then actually he said, sometimes when you see me face to face, you think I'm weak and pathetic, right? You remember when he said that? He said, now they say about me, my letters are powerful. But then when he's face to face, he's weak, right? Um, but he says, regardless, I, I have nothing in myself because if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in my God, in Christ Jesus. I'm going to boast in my salvation. I'm going to boast of who God is and what he has done. What is the nature of your boasting? What is the nature of your reception of the word of God? Do you trust in your own ability, your own reasoning to figure things out, right? Maybe you've read lots of books on, on these things, right? Maybe you take lots of time to study. Maybe you're up on all the recent podcasts that there are to listen about all that's going on in the world of Christianity. Um, what, what is your boast? In your own intellect or in the power of God at work in you, revealing these things to you, changing your heart? The more God reveals himself to you, I, I know, I know, the more it presses us into humility because he shows us that it's not us to begin with. As God teaches us, he shows us more and more that it's not us, it's him. So these two things work together. Trust in God's power. Let's, let's move on to our last point. I had a lot this morning. I did. I never know. I need to, I need to relearn. I need to reteach myself how to uh, take notes for sermons. I can cut it down by like 70%, I think. Uh, there's just too much to say. Uh, so what is the purpose of proclaiming the mystery of God? So as we're walking through our text, he has laid out for us first, what is the mystery of God in verses 1 and 2? He has um, talked to us about how the, the mystery of God is proclaimed to the people. And we saw that, didn't we? And then lastly, he's going to tell us what the purpose behind this proclamation is, and that's in verse 5. So that, here's the reason, so that. Your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but instead in the power of God. So God uses people in their weakness, in their humble state, to communicate and preach his word so that he might be the one to unveil, uncover his own mystery in Christ and save those who believe. This is what God is at work doing. He is the one doing it. You might ask, what was Paul's motivation in preaching? Why did Paul travel all over the, his known world and preach? What was his, why was he doing it? Was he preaching to elevate himself? Was he preaching to make his name known? So that there's the, the group of Paul, right? That's the exact thing he's preaching against, isn't it? There shouldn't be these divisions about people and preachers. So why was he preaching? Well, for the paycheck, of course. He was preaching for the paycheck. But that's not the reality about it either, is it? He's not preaching for the paycheck. So why was he preaching? He was preaching the word of God as a steward of the mysteries of God that God might work in his service. So Paul is preaching and he's relying on the spirit of God to work. So there's, there's a partnership there, isn't there? Is that we, as the servants of God, do something but yet we are relying on God to actually do it. Do you feel that in your own life too, right? 
you are the one doing it, but at the same time, you're actually not relying on yourself to do it. You're relying on God to do it, even though you're the one doing it, right? I mean, this is how it is when we live the gospel, we share the gospel with people, when we pray for people. Are you relying on your prayer to work? If you pray good enough, if you pray with the right words, right, then, you know, you just got to, it's a code. You got to break the code, right? And if you pray right, then God will hear you. You just got to use the right words. Or when you pray, are you communicating with God by the Spirit of God with, with groans that can't even really be comprehended or understood by ourselves, which is what Scripture tells us? And we are relying on the Spirit of God to communicate with God himself in his fullness to hear our prayers because we don't even know how to pray as we should. So when we pray, we are not relying on ourselves to pray well, but we're relying on God, the one who hears and knows, right? And the same thing is true when we're talking about preaching, which is a lot of what our text is about today. We are not relying on the act, but yet we are doing the act. But what are we actually relying on? Who are we relying on? We're relying on God to do the work. We pray for you that God is at work in your life. And when the word is proclaimed here, we pray that God would do something with it in your heart and in your mind. For all of us. This is what we desire. Isn't this what we want? So what does it do? The proclamation of the mystery of God produces faith in the power of God, not men. Because that's not what we're relying on anyway, right? And this is his whole point. So he wants them to reflect. Now, next in the text, what he's going to tell us is, now, I told you that it's not our job to impart wisdom to you. We can't do that anyway. But among the mature, now among those who have the Spirit of God at work in them, we do impart wisdom. And it's a spiritual wisdom. And it's a wisdom that only those with the Spirit of God can understand. But he's going to say something pretty harsh to them, but I couldn't address you as spiritual people. You were weak with quarrels. And you were not pressing forward in your faith in the mystery of God. So I need to address you as children instead. This is what he says to them. So we pray for our church and we pray for ourselves. We pray for those next to us that as the word of God is preached, and you pray for us, you pray for us as we preach. The, do you pray for us? We want you to pray for us that when we preach the word of God, that it is truly the word of God that we are preaching, that we are not preaching ourselves, but that we are preaching Jesus Christ. We are preaching his word and as we preach his word, we rely on God to use that to impart wisdom and knowledge to us, conviction of sin, awareness of who he is. Isn't that what we want? Because without an awareness of God and sin and the word of God, how are we to progress in our faith, which is what God desires for us? All this works together, doesn't it? So pray for us as we prepare and preach. We, we want that. Pray that the Lord would keep us humble as we prepare and as we preach. I want that. You pray that for me. Pray that the Lord would help me to speak what is only true, what is his word. I want to say God's word after him. That's what I want. Why? Because we believe that there is power to be found there. And as however poorly I may deliver the word, that's not what we're trusting in anyway. Right? We are trusting in the power of God. And I hope that you have seen the power of God at work among you as you see the impact that God is having in the lives of the people of this church. Have you seen it? 
Have you seen it at work? I have. And so we should be encouraged by that. This demonstration of the Spirit and power. Because it wasn't me that made you believe. It was God and his work and his wisdom and his power to help you believe, to cause you to believe. And that's we have faith in him. Okay? All right, let's all pray together. Lord, thank you for our time together today. Thank you for your word. Your word is powerful. We need you, we trust in you to continue to use your word as you use your spirit among us to teach us and to humble us and to help us to see that it is not anyone's ability or power or wisdom, might, status that causes us to see your truth. But no, it's you. You are the one that causes us to see your truth. It is your power. It is your wisdom. It is all of you. So we pray for our church, that our elders, that we would all be humbly considered as stewards of the mysteries of God, and we are not preaching ourselves, but we are preaching your word, your truth to your people. God, we also pray for your people, and we pray for us today that we might be humbly receiving your word for what it is, your word, not the word of men, that we might receive it, and that by your spirit we might know that these things are true, and that as we see that they are true, that our lives are changed, and we're able to give you glory as we press forward in maturity in Christ together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.